Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey everyone, it's Tony Bub with the Connection Loop podcast. We've got Dale Dupree here today, the CEO and founder of the Sales Rebellion. And I'm really excited to talk to him about sales leadership, depression, and mental health. And before we get started, um, I would just love for you to, to kind of tell us how you got to this place. So kind of give us a little bio about yourself and how everything got started for you. Sure. Yeah. So my story starts back in 1984 when my father founded his copier firm and I was born in 1985, a year later with toner running through my veins and a little bit of like a predestination thing where because of the way that the copier world works, we joke about this a lot that the kids always get into the business. So if, if you talk to copier people across the United States specifically, you'll find that most are family owned and operated. So, so yeah, it's not just about toner. It's the culture as well too, that kind of sucks the kids into the business where my dad would take us out as children. You know, we would run around to the warehouse and hide behind copy machines and play, you know, tag all through the big, you know, outside areas and the parking lots and, which is probably pretty dangerous. But <laughs> because of that, I kind of was cultured into a small business mindset and, okay. you know, that dad worked and that, you know, at the same time though, that even though dad worked, that it was also a part of our very being. So what dad did was, was ours as well. And mm-hmm. now at the same time too, I also, I had this creativity and a little bit of a different momentum going for me in my life where copiers were just a little boring, right? So to speak. And for me as a musician and, and somebody that was aspiring to be one, uh, or I should say a rock star, aspiring to be a rock star, I decided at, at 17 that I would just change it up. And, and I, I went into the music industry full time and I toured with a band. Um, we did a, our first like tour that we we put together by ourselves that led to us getting about 17 record label offers we picked one and then we ended up on an indie label and then we ended up on a major label two years later continued our our band life but i wanted something a little bit bigger i wanted to get away from the promiscuity from the drugs from the alcohol from the life that music also mm-hmm. um presents to you and and so i decided to come back and the prodigal son returned I went back working for my father, but this time to a, a sales capacity. What instrument did you play? If I might interrupt sang, you for two seconds. No? Yeah, I sang in the band. So oh, wow. Okay. I played a few instruments. I wasn't like good at them by any means, but I knew how to play them and I knew music pretty, I knew it decent enough where I could, now I could kind of pick whatever I wanted to do and I liked the spotlight. Um, and also as a salesperson, obviously that helps as well too. You know, because we are constantly in said spy- spotlight if we put ourselves there, right, to an extent. So right. for me, it was just kind of like foreshadowing events to unfold. But but my first couple of years in sales sucked. I wasn't that great. I had a lot of fun doing it, but I just, you know, again, like I think most people get into sales and that they might tell you this glamorous thought of like I started a lemonade stand and I sold comic books or whatever the case may be. But a lot of the time we don't hear the behind the scenes of the struggles that, that happen as well too. And I mean, I was tormented in sales in the first couple of years. I was led to believe I wasn't good at it to an extent as well too. But 
Um, fast forward 14 years that I spent in the industry. I was the number one rep at the firm that acquired my father four years later. I became their vice president of sales. Um, and then I did an upward lateral move to another company to extend my stay in the copier world. But I recognized the calling that I had in my life from the perspective of changing the way that people perceive sales. People use sales as a tool for their daily walk to provide for their families and the mindset of a salesperson. So into uh, the sales rebellion, I quit my job making a buttload of money and took a pay cut, uh, which is was zero dollars and zero cents per year when I first started the organization and built it up to what it is today. And now we're sitting at a year and nine months. We just three X our business uh, over the course of the pandemic. And we're looking forward to 2021. Wow. So I would love to know when was that like pivoting point, I guess, for you when you're like, I got this, like you're having those challenges, like what was that catalyst or what kind of like took you from this kind of sucks, like I'm just kind of having fun with it too, like I'm gonna take this serious. Can you you walk that through us for, like walk us through that basically. Sure, yeah, I, this one's easy. <laughs> I categorized sales as business essentially and business to me is a cop out, right? That's how I feel about it. I feel that we use business as a blanket or a sheet, you know, to essentially guard us from having to put skin in the game or build a relationship or try, you know, to do anything to a capacity greater than just, you know, what it is, right? So that's when I really made the switch, right? When I, when I sat back and I recognized it, like, no, 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 this is, this is a falsity that this whole business mindset, like really what it means and what it, what it truly is, is an identity for people to be, to behave appropriately, right? Well, <laughs> what's okay. So like as people, we can be liars and, and addicts and thieves, but as business people, we need to stop that for a minute and be, you know, this persona. But the problem is, is that <laughs> that role is switched, right? In business, people, especially in sales are looked at like little white liars, right? And, and like all the, the things that, that are a stereotype of salespeople, car salesmen, insurance salesmen, right? There's some myriad of things been built up over the years because we use business as a cop out. Like, no, this is just business. And it's become something that's turned into toxicity instead of the way that they wanted to set it up. You know, the, the founders of the term, you know, business, this is just business, right? I believe that it's gotten the complete opposite. So for me, it just was a, a mindset shift and switch of being able to recognize that people are people that like, I don't stop living my life as Dale Dupree at 8am when I check into the office and then check back into Dale Dupree skin at seven o'clock, you know, six o'clock at night when I check out, like that's not who I am. So making that shift mentally and from a mindset perspective is what really took me to that next level. Right. So now get, let's get into the whole leadership thing. Cause I, that had been this transition from just being a sales rep to leadership. And, and what I've seen as a coach before is a lot of people could be good salespeople, but when it comes to leadership, it's a whole different ball game. So kind of explain your experiences there. And then as a coach for, of, your, of yourself, like how do you tra help people transition through this basically? Yeah. So I would start by saying that you're correct. And I think that the, for the most part, the business world in general, especially the sales world, knows that not every good salesperson becomes a good leader. But the problem is, is like we continually take a risk in those in those places instead of really defining whether or not it's going to work out or whether or not it's a pipe dream. And, and so, like number one, I think that it's important when you're looking at a really good salesperson to understand that 
they might not need to become a sales leader or want to become a sales leader at that. It might just be you projecting this identity of like, well, they've been a salesperson for 10 years now and they've been the number one salesperson making the same amount of money. We need to give up some kind of raise or, or status inside of the organization or they might leave us. That's, that's one of the things I think that kind of goes through leaders' minds and why they pick bad leadership in, in the process, right? Whereas for me, I'm somebody that not only was good at selling, but good at serving. And because mm -hmm. I believe that service is sales or that sales is service, I should say. And, right. and so for me, it was this identity of, well, how can I help? So back in the office, I think, you know, really where my boss saw what the potential was in me as a leader was when he watched me basically give my time away to people that needed help inside of their sales walk that were at our organization to learn from a guy that's been doing it very successfully and that has a rhythm. And so I would take time out of my life, out of my day, out of my weeks, out of my months, out of my years to nurture and help people where I didn't get some kind of commission override or, or any kind of reward monetarily. I just got the fulfillment of being able to serve, help, and then also to build uh, an organizational structure that was founded on culture, the culture of someone else's success and what makes them happy and feel fulfilled, not ping pong tables and, and beer 30 on Friday nights, right? But this real true culture where, you know, when you can be with somebody after 30 days and they sign their first deal and they look at you like, I could have never done this without you. There's a moment there where as a leader, you know, it's very important that you help them to understand that like, I might've been here, but you're the one doing all the work. And so all you got to do is repeat this process and you'll have more deals. But at the same time, there's a massive amount of fulfillment in someone telling you that as well too, that I don't think humans, you know, in our raw emotional state tap into enough, right? We need, we need as humans, we need it, right? But typically as humans also, we, we crave and we, and we, we search for instant gratification and not the long game. We search for things that make us feel good from like a, a flesh perspective instead of an emotional and like deep tied relational perspective as well too. Yeah, um, you're hitting on so many great things. And I wanted to go back to, I love the whole fact that you're like, I'm doing this and I'm not getting any monetary, you know, anything out of it um, as far as any reward. Like you're just doing it out of like pure, like pure heart basically. And can you touch on that a little bit more? Because I think everyone's always in it for themselves. Like, what can I get out of this situation? What can I get out of this person? You know, I think a lot of people, especially in sales, like how do you shift? That's a mindset thing. Like how do you shift that mindset? Well, really it's about understanding like what has cultured you to feel the way that you currently do about rewards and about monetary things, right? And really I just call it stuff. You know, it's all stuff. Everything in my house is just stuff. Like all this stuff burns or gets sold when I die and nobody remembers that I owned it in the first place, right? And, right. and so we have to remember that there's no identity in things. There is identity though in, in action and the legacy that we leave behind from what it is that our action does to somebody else. So if you make a lot of money, cause I'm not against making money. I made tons of money as a copier sales rep, like more than you would think a copier sales person could make in the first place. More than I thought a copier sales person could make. Can I go in the into the place. copying business? <laughs> yeah, everybody should absolutely. And then call me and I'll train you. But, okay. but the, the, again, the identity of that money is it really truly is, is what are you using it for? How are you using it to build your communities, to bless those around you, to better the culture, to create something that you didn't have if, if you are someone that doesn't come from money even. And then also to create generational wealth in those moments as well too, to be able to give not a safety net, 
but a leg up for the for the next part of the uh, of what's to come from your heritage and legacy to say like hey i worked really hard to get here and now it's your turn to take it to the next level and and to stop focusing so much on ourselves but but instead focus on how do we soften the blow for the next group of people because listen everybody you're gonna die <laughs> you're like i'm sorry but that's a sad, hard truth that you've got to deal with. And so your time in existence up until that point is very, very important. Every single moment is extremely important. Every single interaction is very, very muy importante. And the idea again is how do we as humans connect to that side of us? Well, the first thing, like you were just saying, and like I kind of alluded to in the beginning is that we have to go to our bowl and we have to call it. We have to say, we're selfish. We're addicted to this. We don't really put others in the spotlight, period, you know, let alone just a little bit, right? That when we can sit back and have an awareness of where we are currently and why it's not a healthy mindset from a long-term perspective and, and from a legacy building perspective, then we can start to build what it is that good habits look like around culture in that mindset in the first place. I love that. Okay, so let's get into, the, to me, what are very hot topics, because I think creating awareness takes time and practice, just like being a good salesperson. But then there's so much pressure in the sales industry. And so let's talk about the reality of how it affects your your mentality and your well-being. Um, so do you have a personal story of, of why you, you talk to this? Or I'd really kind of love to understand the why behind that. Yeah, so mental health in general is typically run from in society because it makes you seem weak or it makes you seem like you're not somebody that others could trust or to to give certain tasks to at that. You know, it, it also, it, it's one of those things that kind of makes us personally, it makes us feel like failures in some cases, uh, you know, whether it's as a father or a, a, a wife or, you know, a friend or a, or a sister, like whatever that looks like, like it it makes us feel like a failure to some extent. And so we, we tend to kind of sweep it under the rug and deal with it, which is not healthy for us as human beings and individuals in, in, in general. So, you know, add in the culture and identity of sales. And, you know, and I had just posted about this in my stories on LinkedIn. I know people hate stories on LinkedIn, but shout out to LinkedIn for making stories. And I put a bunch of pictures of, you know, like, you want to know why, why buyers hate salespeople? Well, I'm in groups and on purpose, I'm in these groups. I kind of just shadow them and observe, but I'm in groups where people that sell solar panels and real estate and commodity services, as well as big B2B products as well, too, are in. And somebody said, are buyers liars? And every freaking screenshot that I pulled is like, yes, they suck, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they're terrible, but we've got to make money. So sell them something anyway. And well, we've created a culture that like does this. And so as salespeople, we're literally, when we start in our industry, we are going head first into something that's been created through stereotyping and through actions of other salespeople that are just absolutely horrendous and should not be a part of the sales culture in the first place that we have to fight. And so the biggest thing that we will go up against is rejection almost immediately. No, no, no. And it's beyond no. A lot of times it's yelling and it's get the heck out of my office. And it's, there's no soliciting. Haven't you read the sign? And like people <laughs> go nuts over it because of what has been cultured around it. It has nothing to do with whether or not like making a cold call is good or bad. Making a cold call is just introducing yourself to a stranger like you would at a playground or at a party. There's nothing that's humanly 
you know, against the natural flow of what we do as beings on this earth, but we've turned it into a cardinal sin. And so as a salesperson, you think, well, how am I supposed to pay my bills? How am I supposed to, to create any kind of wealth for myself if everyone hates me? And, and those things start to sink in real deep. And, and rejection, though, is just part of the process. No matter who you are or, or whether or not sales gets better from the perspective of how we deal with each other, there will always be a sense of rejection. The person likes you a lot and they get your quote and they're like, oh, you're in the top three. I really hope you win. Oh, we're going to give it to this other person. That's rejection, just the same. So going through that and and such a, an immense amount of it, because I was not just a top performer, I was like a unicorn. So where the copier world, the average, you know, as we call it, net new sale, which would be like a brand new business has never done any kind of transaction with the organization. The, the average copier rep writes about 12 of those to 15 of those per year, statistically. Well, I wrote 60 to 70 every single year, like nonstop, right? So if you think about that, the amount of rejection I had to go through and also the amount of of obstacles that I had to face in order to be able to get to a place that was much healthier in regards to an environment with me and my client, it took, it took time. It's not like I called on more people to get to that 70. It's that I had to really nurture and develop those relationships, which is even harder than just going and doing a transaction from a commodity perspective. So my, my story, like quite bluntly, um, almost ended in suicide as a top performer. Wow. Because I started to look at my life and say, because of the constant rejection and because of the things I was dealing with and because of the slights and the little things inside of the bullpen, even that are cultural, that we look at as okay. You know, the way we treat women in sales, the way that the bro culture works in sales, because it can work against men just the same, especially right. those that have any kind of dignity or self-respect for themselves. And, and so there's a bigger picture perspective at play here that everyone ignores. They say, pull up your pants, big boy, and stop crying. Well, <laughs> listen men are allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed to cry. They're allowed to have emotions. And because we, we constantly run from this, we send men to the depths. And that's why 90% you know, of the suicides that happen in the, in, in the business world are you know, white males. And it's typically in the sales profession or some kind of C-suite executive. Because again, we, we say like, no, you're, you're good. You shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. Just suck it up, right? Instead of really having open conversations about it. And I was almost one of the statistics because of it. So I talk about it openly because it is important, especially because so many people out there have very short fuses and that sales is kind of like the last place that they can go. My, my, my really good friend calls Scott Lee's calls sales, the, the garbage can of jobs. It's what he calls it. Right. It's like, you know, nothing else worked. And so, you know, you threw everything away into the trash and became a salesperson. Right. So there's a bigger picture perspective at play around mental health and depression and sales. But I should also caveat that with that. I, I, I do suffer from depression. I have since I was a young man. And and so there's another piece of that, too. It's like an aware, a general awareness uh, that people need to have where, like, again, I, I felt like even I could get past it, overcome it, become better. But I did it in a way I, I said that in a way that was self-consumed, like you're better than this. It's okay to be defeated and it's okay to embrace things that suck instead of ignoring them, instead of thinking that the only way to be successful is to win. And, and because of those, those small things that I wasn't paying attention to, it was pretty close to the end for me. But I had a, I had a, a God moment in the process as well, too, and my life was saved. Can, you know, for that, for can, we, can we talk about the God moment? Sure. So I pulled into my office. It was very early in the morning and there was a lot going on in my life at that point. And, and 
And to caveat this too, like in the evening, um, there were things that needed to be exposed to even my wife about my life and the lies that I had been living in around this identity crisis that I was having around my success. And, and so in the morning it started with like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get rid of all of it. I'm going to just say goodbye. And so I headed to my office to close up some things that I didn't want to leave lingering. And my father's car was parked in the driveway and he was never at the office that early. It was really early. It was like five 30 in the morning. And uh, I sat in my office and kind of tried to just ignore what was happening, but he came in, I heard him, you know, stride in and he, it, I, I, I chuckle cause he was having a hip problem at that point. And so he, he kind of swayed as he walked and you could hear him hitting the walls <laughs> on the way in. And it's a beautiful memory. I, I miss my dad greatly. I lost him in 2016 to cancer, but in this particular moment, you know, he came in that room and created a sense of familiarity for me. But also I asked him, what are you doing here? And I was, as I was trying to pretend like I was really busy when really I was just trying to kind of button things up. And my dad said, I don't know. I just had a feeling I needed to be here this morning. Wow. And it washed over me like, like I can't describe. I get chills just talking about it. Yeah. And I, I, I slowly had my mind changed in those moments, you know, spiritually through that progression. And that night I exposed everything to my wife. And the next day I, I had uh, lunch with my mom and dad. And, and it all came out and it was one of the hardest moments of my entire life without a doubt from a personal perspective, but it was one of the most freeing days. And I will never go back to that, <laughs> that I, I'm always very vocal when my mental health is in a bad place. And when I'm feeling any slight inkling of suicidal thoughts, I go directly to the people that I know will hold me accountable and that care more so than just like, don't want me to die. Right. Because there's a big difference there and people that truly genuinely care about your well-being and those that say, you know, hey, let me know if you're ever having a problem, right? And so I, we can get real deep on this because I've I've been debating it and struggling with it and living it for a very long time. And so I've had a million discussions around it. But I think the bottom line is this, is awareness. Awareness that of two things. Number one, that if you're watching this right now and some of the things that I've talked about that they feel as if they're burdening you, I will listen to you. I'm not going to sit and tell you the things that you can do to get out of it, but I will listen. I will sit, I will listen, I will take in everything that it is that you need someone else to hear and you can reach out to me anytime you want. But also that there are other people in your life that will do the same thing. Believe it, seek them out and try to hold your mental health accountable in everything that you're going through. And I promise you that success is right around the corner. Woo, you are definitely, I got the chills and you're definitely touching me over here. Um, I think for me, what I'd, I'd like to hear is some people don't know what to do or like what's the first step or like where to go. And I think if you have faith, sometimes like in your circumstance, it like it just pops into your life. But if people are struggling, like what are some resources or really simple first steps they can take to like move forward in this? I think the number one thing that everyone needs to hear and understand, especially if you're an outsider to the issue, but you know people that are probably struggling or that have expressed it to some extent is not to try and fix people. Yeah. That the last thing, like anybody that was trying to fix me in those moments, it was like in one ear and out the other because you didn't, and I don't try to do it with other people either, even though I've suffered through an ex, to an extent what they're feeling because right. you need to meet people where they are in their moments. 
because you don't know how they truly feel. They might learn differently. They might react differently. They might, they might be more of an audible person more so than they are somebody that's a kinesthetic or, or touchy feely or, you know, there's a lot of detail to it. Right. So this bigger picture perspective of understanding that you can't fix people, but you got to meet them where they are is the most important side of it. And so same goes for the person that's listening that needs, you know, the first steps, like meet yourself where you are and understand what your needs are now that if it is that you just need to talk, but it's hard to talk about it, find that outlet, figure out who will accommodate that and how you can best get it off your chest. If you're embarrassed about it, if you're worried about the exposing it and the consequences of it, because I'm going to tell you right now, the real consequence is you not being here. And, and, and that's a, that's an easy thing to say. And it's a harder thing to get past. Right. But know that that's the truth. And in those moments, like we cannot truly have reward without risking. Right. And so right now you're in a place where like in your head, it's like, well, if I expose this, I could be fired. I could be, you know, there's all kinds of different things that might be going through your head from a risk perspective. Your life is much more important than your job. And that's the bottom line. So meeting yourself where you are and finding people that will listen and that will support the attitude and the mindset of just following you in your journey and not trying to fix you is, is extremely important and helpful. And I think that's actually some great advice um, for leadership as well. I think a lot of the times leaders are just used to telling people what to do or delegating and trying to fix a problem versus meeting people where they're at and, and showing empathy and respect and, and listening, like actively listening versus just shooting out actions or to-do lists to like achieve a goal or, uh, you know, and, uh, basically just a, a way of getting to an end, basically a means to an end. I was like, I was like, where is that, that saying that I'm trying to get to a means to an end. Um, so what are some, maybe like, what are some signs that people can kind of be self-aware? Cause I love that you've brought in the awareness, but what are some signs people can be aware of if maybe they're starting to head down this path so they don't have to quite get there? Are there like, one or two that you can kind of mention that are kind of, you know, red lights that kind of flash for people. Yeah, there's a, so, so really this is very identifiable for people that are struggling with anxiety that turns into depression, that turns into suicidal tendencies is, is that it starts in this place of self-defeat. So if you ever tell yourself that you're not good enough, if you ever have like a deep feeling about that, that concept as well too, because it's one thing to say, I'm not really good at basketball, but I'm good at baseball. So I'm going to play baseball. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you sit around in your own thoughts and you did, you defeat yourself in those moments and say, I'm not good enough. I can't do anything. I, the opportunity doesn't exist outside of, you know, working for someone that sucks or having a job I don't like when you, when you start to really dwell in those places, that's where it is the most dangerous. And that's because that's the beginning. So sitting and dwelling in this, this self-defeat mindset is extremely important when it comes to the awareness side, be aware of that. The second side of it though, another side of it, I should say to be ultra aware of too is silence that like when you feel like you want to say something and you're quiet about it, that that is, that is an indicator of where you're headed. And, and so silence, you need to be very vocal about what you're feeling and what you're going through. Silence is your enemy. That is, it is the silent enemy of salespeople on top of it too, because it, it's very quiet. There's nothing there. And, and I truly believe that, most salespeople 
develop, can, I should say, develop anxiety and depression because of their sales walk and not because they have it genetically embedded in them or that they've suffered from it throughout their life, that they can literally culture it through what it is that they have to do on a daily basis. The pressure of a quota, the, the, you know, the tonality and, and voice raising of a boss, the, the pressures from clients or prospects that are asking for so much and you can only give so little, the, the rejection, the constant rejection at that, and which again leads to pity and self-defeat, self-pity and self-defeat, which are very, very dangerous emotions for people because they lead to, again, this sense of like, what is my existence? You know, is the the question that you basically start asking yourself. And so stay away from those moments, right? And when you're in them, embrace them. Don't try to say like, oh, wait it out till tomorrow. Like embrace it and say out loud, like I'm having a really hard time talking about anything I feel right now. Like that alone should help somebody to hear what you're saying and go, I just need to be around this person and just need to be a part of what it is that they're going through from the perspective of supporting them by listening to them as well too. So people that are that are hearing this, remember, don't try to fix others, right? Meet them where they are in these moments as well. But those are two things that they could be aware of, you know, in, in these states. But there's a lot to it. You know, it's not as simple as just a couple little things. It's very complex. Yeah, I, I kind of wrote down some, I think three big takeaways that I've kind of gathered from our conversation. Um, one is culture. So being aware of the culture that you're in and, and being a part of changing that culture versus immersing yourself in it. Awareness is huge. Not only a self-awareness, but aware of how you're talking, you're speaking, your actions are impacting other people. And I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna do four maybe <laughs> um, because I really loved the service part. So I loved you having an intention of not always going in and trying to get something out of it. So building true relationships, I think, is as number three. And then what you just said, communicating your truth. And there, so Crucial Conversations is a book out there and it talks about the longer that you take in between, once you feel something isn't right and communicating it, usually the bigger the problem, you know, progresses into. So I absolutely love that. And, and let's kind of wrap it up with, I think it's also important to remember to bring fun and joy into your life. And I love that you had on your profile, like, this is what I like to do in my downtime. I like to grill. I love to eat pancakes. Talk a little bit about how bringing that into business is important as well. Yeah. yeah I, I developed a, uh, particularly, I developed a touch piece as we call it here at the rebellion. They're called market tools, you know, for our students. Okay. Um, and, but the, the, the concept of it is like an introduction to your buyer before you ever make a cold call to them in the first place, because psychologically, we know the way that the human brain and it works and with the heart, you know, through communication specifically. So we, de we designed and developed this concept and I did it back when I was still selling. And, and what I should caveat this with too, lots of caveats in here is that my yeah. wife was in, in psychology. She was a neuropsych, but she was in school to, to become, you know, a, a get a master's in psychology and become a therapist. That was the original idea. And so because of that, she was taking like criminal psych as a minor. And so I learned that a buyer and a sociopath have a lot in common. And, you know, like I learned all kinds of crazy stuff, but I learned how the brain reacts and how it speaks to the heart. And that the heart is the thing that we need to speak to more so than the brain, because the intellectual side will say, you're selling something, I don't want it. But the emotional side will pull at them and be like, 
well, they might be selling something, but there, this is a really cool person that I want to have in my circles, that I want to be around, that I, that I think can bring value, whether that's intrinsically or through a product or whatever that looks like, right? So to pull at those heartstrings, we have to bring out the culture that we, that we subscribe to. And so we had what we call the rebel resume. And what I did is I made a resume that was basically me applying for a job at your company, but the job of the provider as a vendor. So mm -hmm. I would leave it, I would leave it with, my decision maker, and I would leave it with the HR person. And I would typically follow up with HR first because they're very good at picking up the phone when you call and say that you left a resume and you were following up on it, right? So, and because it was so weird, there was a giant picture of me stabbing a copy machine with a lightsaber and it, and it had a lot of lifestyle stuff in it, such as I play the guitar, I sing in a band, I like playing Uno with my family. You know, the things, again, that, that people will read and either resonate with or feel familiar to. So it doesn't have to be something that they specifically like, but when you start to speak the language of culture, whether that it's around hobbies or it's around family or it's around activities or it's around food, you know, that people see that and they think like, yeah, I don't like exactly this, but I like a sect of it and I like a portion of it. And, and again, that familiarity allows somebody to build credibility with you. And it's fun. You know, people looked at that and thought, what the heck is this? And, and I broke down the barriers of, you know, the cop out of business and, and that whole space that's been intelligently designed to keep people from me, like me, out in the first place. And I destroyed it with creativity, with fun, and with passion. I love it. That's a great way, I think, to end this. I, I Those are all my favorite things. So thank you so much for being on here. And I think you're going to open up a lot of people's eyes because even if you're not in direct sales, I think a lot of people feel this pressure. And, and these are... These are uh, actions or traits or I don't know what you would call them, but um, things that people can integrate into any part of a business. I think that anyone can apply. So, uh, but let people know where they can find you, your podcast, uh, anything you want to share, um, because I think you'd be a great person to follow. Yeah. So salesrebellion.com is the best place to find me. Okay. You can go to the coaching page um, and you can, you can select to, to meet the coaches and I'm on there. Um, so you can get a direct line to me or, you know, one of the best ways is just to Google my name, Dale Dupree. And for the next like nine pages of Google, you can find guest podcasts, you can find guest video work I've done, stuff like this, right? And and just a ton of content to see deeper into who it is and, and what I do. But if you like content as well, head to any of the social channels, linkedin.com backslash I am backslash copier warrior to find daily content. And then I'm on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all of them at sales rebellion or backslash sales rebellion in the URL. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dale. I really enjoyed it and have a very Merry Christmas and happy, happy new year, everyone. Thanks Bye. so much. Merry Christmas.